Well, welcome. Good. Good to have you in the Lord's house this morning. And we begin this morning a new series on Dare to Be a Daniel. And I don't know, growing up, if Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were some of your favorite characters, maybe in vacation Bible school or Sunday school stories, or maybe just in church. But we're going to dive in. I think they're great examples for faith. And as you know, they stood strong in the face of tremendous adversity and challenge all around them. And Daniel says, in the middle of the book, around chapter 7, he says, there was a letter that came from home that made all the difference in the world. And so wouldn't you want to know what that letter is? The letter was from the prophet Jeremiah, and this is part of the letter. Jeremiah 29.1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, to, to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court of officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisan had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Japha, and to Jeremiah, son of Hilkah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The letter said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I've carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you among all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and minds this morning. Well, I heard this story <clears throat> of an archaeologist in New York who dug down 10 feet. And he discovered copper wire, and he declared far and wide that 100 years ago, New Yorkers had a mass communication system. Well, not to be outdone, an archaeologist in California dug down 20 feet, found copper wire, and he declared that 200 years ago, that Californians already had a mass communication system. Well, after giving that some thought, Bubba, a farmer in Indiana, dug down 30 feet and found absolutely nothing. And he proudly declared that 300 years ago, Hoosiers had already gone wireless. <laughs> well, man, you got to love a little archaeology now and then and going back in time. And uh, this morning, we're doing a little archaeology, if you will. 
And I don't know about you, but I, I love the book of Daniel. I love the stories about Daniel. I love the stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, these young people who stood strong in the face of adversity and difficulty. And to just give you a recap of where they are in history, uh, after King Solomon, the nation of Israel, 12 tribes, divided in two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And you had two kings, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and uh, they turned from the Lord and had wicked ways, and the prophets went to them time and again and declared that they need to turn back to God. And then the Assyrians came and destroyed the northern ten tribes. What was left of the people, they took away into captivity far away and had other people come into that area. And that is where Samaria comes from. And there were different, somewhat different religion and really have never come back together. The southern kingdom, known as Judah, were the southern two tribes. And uh, they endured for a while. And then... A number of times the prophets came to them and warned that also they were in, um, in danger of destruction and judgment from God. And finally, in 605, Nebuchadnezzar swept down through Egypt. He destroyed uh, Syria on the way, took control of uh, the Middle East at that time, and came back and besieged Jerusalem and Judah in that area. And in 597, uh, he defeated Jerusalem, and his strategy was very different than anyone else in history under King Nebuchadnezzar, was he took at first 10,000 of the best and brightest of the young people. And he also took away some of the wealthy people as well. And he took them to the capital city of Babylon. And his strategy was this. Well, first of all, if you have the best and brightest of your young people, are you going to foment rebellion back in the homeland? No, because your people are up there. Your young people are in the capital of the empire. The other idea was to educate these young people, these best and brightest, into the culture of Babylon and to change their values and to change their loyalty and then eventually send at least some of them back to be the ruling people so that they would subjugate the people uh, from rule from within. And within this context, we have... These young people, among them, among the best and the brightest were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you can only imagine the confusion and the anxiety, uh, some cases the depression that they had as they were led away and kept it very brutal, kind of a King Nebuchadnezzar and these warriors were, and uh, they wondered what to do. Now, a lot of the prophets had told them what they needed to do was to rebel, Rebel in Babylon and uh, to go to war against them. But, of course, there was only 10,000, maybe more. What could they do against the forces of Babylon? But in the midst of all this commotion and anxiety and turmoil came a letter from Jeremiah. This letter this morning. And this letter encouraged them to do four things which were really quite amazing in that day. But they followed these four things and changed the world in the ancient times and so I want to look at this today because I think in many ways it provides a model for us in a number of levels. And the first thing that Jeremiah tells him is not to rebel. He tells him to live and settle. I mean, would you expect that? You've been taken away into captivity. You're under the powers of the king who destroyed your homeland. And Jeremiah says, don't rebel. He says, live and settle there. And that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? And when you think about it, what is Jeremiah telling them to do? He says, in this moment, be part of where you are because God has you there for a purpose, for a purpose. 
God has you there for a purpose. And I think there's something else that's there today. Because in many respects, we're in a culture that isn't part of our values, right? It's really not a Christian culture. I mean, we have many Christian roots, but as a whole, you look around, it's probably not a Christian culture, whether you're in school or college or just in the workplace. And what Jeremiah is saying is, says, listen, many times more is accomplished by building relationships than stirring rebellion. I'm going to say that again. More is accomplished by building relationships than stirring rebellion. In a world in which we've heard all this about culture wars and all this kind of culture wars, I think Jeremiah would breathe into the room and whisper and say, there's more to be accomplished by building relationships with those different from you than stirring rebellion. So keep that in mind. But here's the caveat to all that. Keep strong values. Keep strong values. Don't assimilate the values around you of the Babylonian kingdom, of Nebuchadnezzar's power and all his glory and all the wealth and wonder of Babylon. This is one of the most amazing cities of all times. And some of the seven wonders of the ancient world right there. And of course, they're amazed, daunted, coming from the Judean countryside. But Jeremiah says, keep strong values. Be who you are, the heart of who you are. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, be salt and light in the world today. And how do you do that? Well, to be salt, if you're a chef, I'm not. But I know a little salt goes a long way. Have you ever been cooking and the lid of the salt shaker came off and you dumped the, all the salt in there? It's, it's, not a, it's not a good thing, is it? Yeah. Salt is great in little places because a little bit of salt flavors the food around it. It also uses a preservative. And what about light? Jesus said, be a candle in the night. Jesus didn't say, burn the place down, okay? Jesus said, be a candle in the night. Shine brightly, and the candle shines brightest in the darkness. So if you keep strong values, all of a sudden, you're light in the world. You're salt and flavoring the world around you, and that's what Jeremiah is telling them to do, to live and to settle, but to be who you are as children of God. Be salt and light in the world today. And then, amazingly enough, the third thing he says is to be a blessing. Jeremiah says to seek the shalom, the peace and prosperity. It's actually one word in the Hebrew, but it's translated with two words because there's no English equivalent. Peace does not translate that correctly. Shalom means the wholeness, the right relationship with God, the right relationship with others. It's peace and also it is prosperity. So Jeremiah is telling them, ironically enough, the people who took you captive, the people who took you away, the people who ravaged the countryside of your homeland, pray for the peace and prosperity of them. Because when they're blessed, you will be blessed also. Now that is one of the most amazing things in the world. The hell's angels come, take your family away, and God says, whispers to you, seek the peace and prosperity. Seek the shalom. Because why? Because God is doing work in them even though you can't see it. And you're there to be, really, you see this in the New Testament so often. James says a lot. Peter says a lot. That you're resident aliens. You're ambassadors for Christ. You ever use that term way back when? You're ambassadors for Christ. And what does a good ambassador do? Well, 
They keep the values of the homeland, right? They're not enculturated, but they also are fluent in the culture and the language of everything going on, so they become an influence for good. And so when we do that, and there's good in the nation overseas or whatever, then you become a blessing that is powerful. You become salt and life. And so in this moment, Jeremiah is saying, be a blessing to those around you. And I think that works for us too. That in our world today, we are, in a very real sense, citizens of two worlds. We're citizens of here in the world. I mean, after all, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in would not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world all around us and, and seeks that all may come to know God and with a wholeness and kind of peace and prosperity. So, so be there, right? But keep strong values and then be a blessing. And what is that a model of? Well, of course, it's a model of the incarnation, of God sending Christ to us to embody human love in a foreign kind of world because we were, we were what? We were lost and away from God, and to seek to reconcile, to be the shalom of God, to bring peace and prosperity to others near and far. So to live and settle there and to, to be a blessing and also to keep strong values. And the last thing is to trust God. And that's hard, isn't it? When everything appears to be going the other way, to trust God. That God, even though you're in captivity for 70 years, even though you're away from home, even though that all around you is a culture that's dark and different from you, and everything is a challenge and adversity that you face, that, that God is at work and all that. And in this is, I just want to say, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Certainly, one of my favorite verses in Hebrew Scripture, and it says this in 2911, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. What a beautiful promise. And I think that's a promise that comes to all of us today. When things seem darkest, we face challenge and adversity, that God is at work in the darkness, that God has wherever you are, for a reason, whether it's at a, a school or whether it's at a college, whether it's uh, in the workplace, wherever you are. If you're overseas, wherever you are, you have a chance to be salt and light in your world and to make a difference for everyone. And so Jeremiah speaks hope into this moment, hope that is beautiful. And Jeremiah does something tangible, tangible as a declaration of that hope. Jeremiah goes and in the midst of all the ruin and destruction and the landside of Judea, Jeremiah goes and buys real estate. And that is the last time, the last time you want to buy real estate, right? When a hurricane comes through, right? When there's death and destruction. But as a symbol of hope, Jeremiah goes and buys property. And interesting enough, archaeologists have uh, uncovered a bullet, which is a you know, piece of stone with a name on it. There's actually the transfer from Baruch the prophet and Jeremiah that testifies to that. One of the most amazing pieces to corroborate all that happened here. And so there's this testimony in stone, etched in stone, that Jeremiah indeed went and bought property. Why? As a symbol of hope to the people, that God was at work and God was reconciling and God would bring those people back after they were salt and light in a foreign land. Man. 
God doesn't always do things the way we think they should be done. Sometimes when adversity and difficulty come into our life, we look around and we, and we say, why? We look up at the sky towards God and say, I, I don't understand this. As prayers seem to ricochet off the ceiling. But in the midst of all of that, Jeremiah the prophet would whisper to us words of hope. That God is at work in all this, even though we can't see it. That all things work together of good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. And so Jeremiah would challenge all of us in whatever adversity and difficulty and challenge that we have to, to live and settle where we are. You are citizens of heaven. You'll be there one day. But right now, you have work to be done here on earth. So live, live and settle there right? And to keep strong values. Be salt and light in the world today, and then to be a blessing. To seek the peace and prosperity of those around you, keeping your values true, and finally to trust God that in the midst of all the darkness and all the difficulty that God is at work. In 2012, Michael Phelps was a Herald Olympian, had just had all kinds of uh, awards, Olympic medals, and the pool, and he retired. And after he retired, he said he fell into deep depression. And uh, he began to turn towards alcohol and drugs. And uh, he didn't know what to do. And he found himself addicted. And he, he said that his identity was all wrapped up into winning in the Olympic pool. And that when he retired, he had no sense of identity. And so everything was swirling around him. And he happened upon uh, a book that a friend gave him called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, which is a great book. And uh, he began to read that and began to think about his life and reflect on all the challenges that he'd faced. And he decided what he was going to do was to recapture his purpose and have a sense of faith in that. And uh, he put himself into a, a detox center, uh, residential, and, uh, and he began to have a testimony of faith. And people began to call him Preacher Mike. And Rick Warren, Pastor Rick uh, heard about it and uh, began to write some letters to him, and, uh, and it was a relationship that was built. Michael Phelps decided to come back in 2014, as you probably know, and uh, did an incredible uh, job again with the Olympic medals, became the most awarded uh, Olympian uh, swimmer up to, this, up to this time. But the key was there was a, a faith, and that Rick Warren's book, The Idea of a Purpose-Driven Life, and the God has purpose in all you're doing, was tremendous, but also letter letter from home. So today, two things for all of us to think about. And one is, whatever darkness you're facing, you may feel like you're away from your home center. You might be at college or you might be in a workplace that seems uh, foreign to the values that you have. You don't have to foment rebellion. You can, you can live and settle there. You can live and settle there, and, uh, and you can be a blessing. Okay, but you have to keep strong values to be salt and light in our world and to trust God in all those things in the darkness that God is at work in powerful ways, even though you might not understand it. But there's a second thing here. You might also be a Jeremiah today. Someone that you know and love, or maybe someone that's just, you don't, you just have sort of a bit of a tangential relationship with them. Maybe they're away at school or college, wherever they are. They might be in the hospital. You can write a letter to them. You know, the thing, we're all like phones and texts and all this, but here's the nice thing about a letter. A letter you can read and reread. You can think about, right? You know, a lot of us, we, you know, we want to debate something, right? But you get a letter, 
And you read it, and then you put it down. Day later, you read it, maybe you pray about it, and you keep reading it. Or maybe it's a card, card with something on it, a little bit of wisdom. Who do you know who needs a letter from encouragement from home? They're in high school. They're in college. They're new at work, and things, you know, aren't going the way they'd like. They've moved across the country or whatever, and you have a chance to be that person of wisdom like Jeremiah, whispering a word of hope into the world that God is still at work to be where they are, to be salt and light there, to stand true for their values and to keep those strong values and to trust God because God is at work in all that. I challenge all of us to read and reread this letter from Jeremiah, but also to hear his words, to live and to settle, to keep strong values, to be a blessing wherever we are and to trust God, and then to find someone this week, this month, that we can write a letter of hope to and whisper hope into someone's life that might change their life. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for all that you do. Even when we are facing darkness and challenge and adversity, you are at work. You have a plan and purpose for our life. We would just recognize it and to listen to the whisper of your word. And so thank you for Jeremiah's letter this morning. Thank you that you are at work wherever we are and that we have a chance to be salt and light in our world. And Lord, help us to realize that we too can be a Jeremiah. We can be that person of wisdom, whispering hope into a young person or another person facing challenge and adversity and make all the difference. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.